0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, And the marriage bed kept pure For God will judge the adulterer And all the sexually immoral Keep your lives free from the love of money And be content with what you have Because God has said Never will I leave you Never will I forsake you So we say with confidence The Lord is my helper I will not be afraid What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant Brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. if he arrives soon. I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord.
0: How's that? Is that better? That's good. You might also find an outline uh, amongst all the papers you were given on the on the way in, and you might uh, want to use that to to follow along. Uh, but while we begin, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we just uh, pray that you would uh, speak to us through your word, uh, through the preaching of your word. Uh, we just pray in addition to that now that you would help us to respond uh, deeply, uh, respond deeply with worship, with appropriate worship. Uh, The worship that's appropriate for those who have been rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us in that tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. (laughs) I wonder if you know how it feels if you've been staying at a a hotel or a youth hostel or, or somewhere like that. And you're snuggled up in bed, it's the middle of the night. It's warm and it's cozy. And then the fire alarm goes off. It's below freezing outside. Perhaps there's sleet and snow, and you and you wait. You uh, cuddle down a little bit more, hoping that the noise is going to stop. And I think for me, in those situations, um, I'm probably not going to do anything at all, unless I can actually, you know, get the smoke in my nostrils, unless I actually see the flames licking around the doorframe. I'm not going to move from that position. You see, it's always going to be hard. Uh, moving from a comfortable place even when there's a good reason to do so in some cities in the world this is a life and death issue every day so there are apartment blocks or building projects that get abandoned because uh, the funds have run out or whatever but because there's so much homelessness people still move into those buildings unofficially and once they're there it's very hard for them to move out even when the building is condemned as unsafe because outside on the streets there is no shelter and there's just violence and hardship. Now what we've been discovering from the book of Hebrews is that uh, this is a life and death issue spiritually too. Uh, for the first readers of this book, where they had come from, uh, I dare say seemed a good deal more comfortable than where they found themselves at that moment. You see, they'd come from a synagogue-based Judaism. Uh, it was a religion that was broadly acceptable in the wider society. It was certainly more acceptable with their friends and families than all this uh, Jesus stuff they've just got themselves involved in. And we can imagine people saying to them, you know, a word of advice, a word of advice, why don't you drop all this Christianity stuff. Why don't you drop all this Jesus stuff? Believe me, it's not doing you any favors. And of course, that's advice that we might hear too. Drop the Jesus stuff. Or, you know, at least play it down a little. Perhaps you might want to stand back from it a little while. We might hear that said to us by well meaning people. We might even say it to ourselves, you know, this is hard, this isn't doing me any favours. Well, we're at the end of our series on the book of Hebrews and this, in many ways, does seem to have been the big issue all along, The, the difficulty of moving from a place which is comfortable but unsafe to a place which may be very uncomfortable and yet absolutely safe. And you might say that the overall purpose of this word of exhortation does seem to have been to, to stop its hearers drifting back into that comfortable but unsafe condition that 's the risk that they 're facing that 's what the writer wants to prevent and uh, we 've also over these weeks seen very clearly over and over again uh, that what the writer does is this: to stop people drifting back, the writer preaches. Jesus again to them. Pay attention again, he says. Refix your thoughts on Jesus. Refix your eyes on Jesus. Hold firm in your faith, in your confession of Jesus. You see, Jesus proves to you that what you're drifting back into is utterly unsafe. If it was safe, He wouldn't have had to come and do this new thing. And Jesus proves to you that perseverance in faith is absolutely safe. You see, by his death, he has destroyed even the power of death over you. And by his high priestly work, he has deep cleaned your conscience. So that you will be able to draw near to a holy God. You will be able to draw near to him and do it safely. Even with confidence. And uh, last week from chapter 12 we heard it put this way. You have not come to Mount Sinai where there was only terror before a holy God. But you have come to Mount Zion. And at this mountain we we approach God. We do approach God reverently. But because of Jesus we approach him safely. Safely. And chapter 12 ended like this. We've just had it read to us. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So that's where we are at the end of the book. But how do we respond to what God has done and worship him at this mountain? It's interesting, isn't it? So the, the people of God in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, we given instructions on how to worship. But how are we to worship at this mountain, this new mountain we are at, because of Jesus? Well, I hope we're going to see tonight that the answer here is this. The answer in this chapter is this. We worship God by supporting one another. And by doing that in line with what he has done for us, by supporting one another. And uh, I think we'll see that that support has got two parts to it. First, there's loving one another, and that's the first six verses here in the chapter. And then after that, uh, we'll see it's all about following our leaders, following our leaders as they follow Jesus, as they follow Jesus away from the comfortable but unsafe place to the place which is, yes, yes, it is an uncomfortable place, but it is absolutely secure. So first thing, let's have a look at these first uh, six verses of the chapter, which is all about loving one another, loving one another with God on our side and at God setting the pattern for us. Now remember that these are the final exhortations of the book. This is the, if the book is a bit like a sermon, and I think it's something like a sermon, this is the point where the application's really being rammed home. So if you're the kind of person who listens to the sermons but only wakes up at that moment, this is the moment to be awake for the whole time, Okay? These are the final exhortations of the book. These are the actions the writer especially wants us to go away and do. What I hope we're going to see here is a call to love one another, which gets increasingly deep and personal as we go through each of them. Uh, You might see how it begins. It begins quite general, doesn't it? A general command, uh, verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers. In other words, let the, that, that brotherly and sisterly love uh, continue, says the writer. It all sounds very good, doesn't it? But what does it mean exactly? What does that mean in practice? Well, verse 2 tells us a little bit more what it should include. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers. Perhaps more accurately, do not neglect to love strangers Now, this is uh, looking a little harder, isn't it? Loving people I know is uh, one thing, but loving strangers? How far is this going to go, we might wonder? Verse three, remember those in prison as if you were there too. Those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. So you see how it's getting deeper and deeper. Not only am I to invite people I don't know very well into my house, I also have to go out to the dangerous place and participate in the suffering of others. You might well think this is starting to get really uncomfortable now. So what more is there? Well, verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Here's the slogan, honorable marriage for all and the marriage bed pure. But we might well think, well, this is getting a bit personal now, isn't it? it? A bit intrusive. Surely your marriage and these kinds of things, it's a private matter. Next he'll be saying that we should keep our thoughts under control. Well, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So what does this love for one another cover and include? Well, it would seem to be both wide and personal. It covers the stranger among us, the suffering person who's been taken from us. It covers the privacy of the bedroom and it covers the desires of the heart. Now, it's not that we don't uh, value all of those things in principle. I think that all of us here tonight will probably see that, that the, those things are good. We can recognize them as good. It's just that, you know, we just find them So difficult. So, we can see, for example, in general, that love for one another is a good thing, but it's much easier, isn't it, and more comfortable to be selective in our love. You know, selective in about who we love, about when we love, about how much we love. The thought of loving from the heart everyone we meet all the time, that just sounds exhausting. I think too we can probably see that hospitality is a good thing. This is Fulwood. We do hospitality. We like entertaining. We have the cookbooks. We have the Kenwood mixers and the food processors. We have the Miele dishwashers. Some of us have the range cookers and the fancy coffee machines. Our homes are warm and comfortable and clean. We don't hoover here. We get the Dyson out. <laughs> but hospitality? Hospitality towards the strangers among us? Love of stranger? Well, we might think maybe occasionally, you know, so long as the strangers aren't too strange. But generally speaking, it is kind of easier to just casually ignore such people, isn't it? So I'm I imagine we'll feel this even tonight, after this part of the meeting over over tea and coffee. You will feel this. You know, I know that I'm going to feel this later. It's going to feel much, much easier to go and talk to someone I know. I say you will find that too. Or next we can see that um, it's good to support and care for those who are suffering under persecution. Especially those who are suffering under persecution for their faith. We go out and we support them and we help them in tangible ways. But if supporting them puts us at risk, well of course we're going to find ourselves tempted to hold back in that. Likewise, moving on down the list, we can see that marital and infidelity and sexual immorality, we can see those things are, are, are very damaging, that they harm the church, they harm the church family. We know that it's, those things are quite capable of ripping families apart and they're even ripping churches apart. They're dangerous, horribly dangerous. But on the other hand, sexual immorality is a comforting sin. So we might try to fool ourselves that if we keep it hidden and under control, uh, then maybe you know, it's okay as a, a sort of occasional indulgence. It's very interesting that the, the surveys tell us that um, uh, most men say they use pornography as some kind of stress relief. That is the reason they give for using it. Or oh, you might think of uh, what's now become the fastest-selling paperback of all time, uh, that book called Fifty Shades of gray It's turned porn into a leisure activity for women too. And I guess you know, there is a kind of moment of comfort involved, isn't there, a moment where the, the fantasy feels good and in a distorted kind of way makes us feel good about ourselves too. And it is a tempting comfort Going further down, we can see that money is never going to make us feel happy. We can see that it's right not to love money. And there are plenty of miserable, rich people in the world to confirm it all the time. Perhaps you know some of them. Perhaps you are one. And yet money is always one of the first places we turn for comfort and security. Even if it's, you know, just in case. Just in case. We always like a little financial cushioning in our lives. And uh, of course things like comfort shopping have become an acceptable leisure activity in our culture. Bizarrely and strangely. So what can change all this? What can change all the, the difficulty we have in doing all this? Well, it's very important and significant to know that this call to love one another does not come at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. This is the thing to keep in mind. It can only come right at the end, right at the very end, in fact. It can only come once the writer has represented Jesus to us. And I guess the really important thing that Jesus has done that makes it possible to love one another in a way that it never was before, is this, what he has done is to bring us close to the living God. And that, I think, is probably the key to all this. That, of course, is what we've seen right at the heart of the book. Because Jesus has cleansed our consciences, cleansed our hearts with his blood, we can draw close to the living God. God. And just look with me again at these verses to see uh, the difference that that makes. Look closely with me and let's pick out some of the reasons the writer gives for acting with this kind of brotherly and sisterly love. There are three of them explicitly brought out. There's one in verse 2, there's one in verse 4, and there's one in verses 5 and 6. So for example, why why should we show love to strangers? Well, here's the reason that's given, verse 2. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, that uh, might sound baffling to you uh, to begin with, but the writer's probably thinking of an episode back in the Old Testament when Abraham, the man of faith, warmly welcomed three strangers into his home and later found out that they were angels, messengers of God. They were a source of blessing to him, in other words, Abraham, of course, was a man who were drawn near to God by faith, just exactly the thing the book of Hebrews is encouraging us to do, so that when he met and welcomed others who were also near to God, God was able to use them to bless him. And so it can be for us. Those of you who have in the past had the courage to invite strangers into your home will know that in the end, you can often end up more blessed by them than they have been blessed by you. That is often the way it works. You know, even when they're students. It can happen. Let's look at the next one. Why should we keep free from sexual immorality? What's the reason the writer gives? Verse four. For God will judge the adulterer. And all the sexually immoral. In other words, it's, it's rather like this. As you perhaps chat with someone in, of the opposite sex in private who isn't your spouse, or perhaps you're surfing the internet late at night, it's a bit like this. It's, uh, I, I don't, try and imagine this for a moment, okay? It's like having your mother there, okay? Just imagine what that would be like. Except, it's even more scary than that, of course if you can imagine such a thing. Because through Jesus, we have drawn near with reverence and awe to a God who have just been told is a consuming fire. We're talking about someone here who can do rather more than confiscate our laptop or ground us for a week. I'll take a look at the next reason. Why should we keep ourselves free from the love of money, Why should we be content? Verses five and six, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In other words, because through Jesus we have drawn near to the living God, our lives are utterly secure in a way that they could never have been before. You know, the bailiffs could be banging on the door. It could look disastrous from one point of view. But it's as if our lives are guaranteed and underwritten by uh, AIG or something like that, one of the largest insurance companies in the world. But better than that, of course, because of Jesus, the living God is with us and on our side. And if that's true, we do not need to find comfort or security anywhere else. So I think for the, the first readers of this book or the first hearers of this book being um, recommitted to Jesus and uh, then listening to this instruction about how to, to worship God um, it should have been able to take them back to where they were before. where they The kind of fearless faith that they showed uh, when they first believed. We Remember we read about this in Hebrews chapter 10. Those Those earlier times when they stood their ground in the face of suffering, when they were publicly exposed to to insults and persecution, uh, when they happily sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted even the confiscation of their property. And uh, why did they do that? Uh, Well, because they knew they had better and lasting possessions. And if they rediscover Jesus now, they can go back to being like that and what could this do for us as a church family I wonder well it could make this church family a, a refuge a, a safe haven in a very stormy world it could be such that we would be able to go out and, and face um, hostility and, and difficulty at work um, from our wider families Uh, school or college, university, uh, from the wider culture. Facing all those things, but knowing that we can come back here and find love and encouragement and real tangible support. This could become a relationally safe place to come where everyone can feel safe and secure in the company of the opposite sex in a way that they couldn't anywhere else it could be a place without any sense of one upmanship or, or comparisons going on between people it could be a happy place even if everything were taken from us and I think we do experience something of that don't we we already experience something of that in part, even now. And we do give thanks for that, huge thanks for that. But at the end of the book of Hebrews, I think we can say that the more we fix our eyes on Jesus and experience, therefore, the closeness of the living God, the better that church family experience will get. But fixing our eyes on Jesus won't just help us to to, to love one another It's also going to help us to be led in the right direction. And this is the the second major call in the chapter, and it's to support one another by following our leaders as they lead us to Jesus, and uh, he sets the the pattern. These are the next verses, verses 7 to 19, all about following our leaders. What I hope uh, we're going to see again is a, a call to follow our leaders that But once again, it's getting increasingly deep and personal. So you can see how it goes. So first of all, there's a very simple goal just to remember our leaders. Verse seven, remember your leaders, uh, those who spoke the word of God to you. You know, perhaps you had forgotten them. Perhaps indeed they were the ones uh, first put in prison because of their faith under, under persecution. That is quite possible if you look across to verse 23, um, just over the page, uh, you'll see that Timothy, who's one of the church leaders, who is a church leader, has been in prison, but now he's been released. Uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? So the leaders in the church are going to be the first, among the first to be persecuted, the first to put in prison for their faith. So it may well be that the leaders they should be remembering uh, are included within uh, those in prison. They should be remembering. Remember them, says the writer, and remember the word they spoke to you. What's more, same verse, consider their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, as they followed Jesus, who, who remember for the joy of the, of the for the joy set before him and endured extreme persecution, suffering and death. So you should follow them. As they follow Jesus, you should follow them. Now we'll look at verses eight to sixteen in a moment. But you can see, first, that the writer comes back to how we should re- relate to our leaders. Come back to the, exactly the same thing. Verse seventeen. Verse seventeen. With an even stronger exhortation: obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And then in verse 18, the, the call to support leaders becomes personal. And so the writer of Hebrews is a leader. What does he say? He says, pray for us. Pray for us. We need your help and support. Now all this is fine, I think, isn't it? We, we do in, in, accept in principle the need for leaders. We accept that it's a good idea to have People within our church families who who take the lead in speaking the word of God to us. Who take the lead in in encouraging us to follow Jesus. Who set an example in that. Nevertheless, I think we still have to say that in many ways we do not like being led. We still do not like it when those people, when their teaching makes us feel uncomfortable, for example. You see, if they're going to be faithful, in other words, they're going to be be mimicking what we've heard in the book of Hebrews, isn't it? They're going to be talking about sin and judgment and salvation by Christ alone. All things which are, are intended to humble us, to bring us to our knees before God. But of course, being humbled like that hurts. You know, sometimes it can hurt intensely. You know, we much prefer teaching that's uh, that's comfortable or, or affirming or or perhaps familiar from our from our non-Christian past. I'm sure that's how it was for the first readers of this book. You can see, if you look back to verse nine, which is um, sort of uncomfortably across the pages, isn't it? But you can see from verse nine that they would rather hear about the, the cooking regulations that they grew up with than they would than they would hear about uh, Jesus again. And of course, we don't like it when those leaders make life awkward for us. When what they say or the path they set us on gets us into trouble with our friends or or family or at work. And actually, I think we'd have to say we really don't like being led at all. There's something in us which deeply resents being led by anyone. I guess that's why we're so, so quick to hate our politicians. Um, if you're anything like me, I, I think my first instinct when someone tries to lead is, is, is very often the, the, the phrase that comes into my mind is who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? So we can see that leading is a good thing but again we struggle with it. So what can change it? What can change all this? Well, yet again, of course, it's all down to Jesus. Verse eight, this is what makes the difference. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see how it goes? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you because the Jesus they preached to you is the same today as he was back then. And he'll be like that forever. Remember them and listen to them because you're certainly going to be shortchanged by any other sort of teaching, any sort of teaching that doesn't include Jesus. This kind of strange, or what should be strange, Jesus' free teaching on what you should eat, for example, it says absolutely no value to you. Uh, Indeed, uh, in the end, uh, of similar little value or no value as anything that was done in those regulations uh, before Jesus, none of it we have discovered was able to make you holy before a holy God. That's what the the book of Hebrews has been stressing over and over again. Those things were, were only there to point you to what Jesus would do. So you can see how the argument goes here. Uh, so there were the sin offerings going on under the old system and the, the, the carcasses were taken outside the camp of the people of God. But all that was to point us to the fact that Jesus would go and do something in line with that. Jesus went, would go out to the place of death. Those ceremonies in some way promised a holiness but we're unable to deliver. But unlike those offerings, his offering really was able to make us holy before, before a holy God. That is what he has done. So follow your leaders as they follow him to that place. And as you do that, the only offering we have left to give is an offering of thanks and praise and love for one another. So, to leaders with a Jesus free message, leading a, a Jesus free life, we say no thank you. But to leaders who, through teaching and examples, take us with Jesus outside the camp, so to speak, to that uncomfortable place, to that uncomfortable place that is yet safe, we say we're right behind you. Not with a knife, notes. That is the temptation. I mean, really right behind them. Recognizing that those in front of us are, are, are likely to take the brunt of the opposition and stress uh, from a hostile world. A world that's hostile to God and hostile to his son. And so why do you think our Vicar Paul has, has gray hair? I know he's telling us he's 50 at the moment. Uh, I wonder if he knew. He's only actually 23 So verse 17, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders. Now we have to read that carefully. The writer's not suggesting here a kind of knee-jerk, automatic obedience, a slavish obedience. Perhaps a better translation would be something like this. Let yourself be persuaded by your leaders. Let yourself be persuaded by them as they preach Jesus. Let yourself be persuaded by that let them break down your resistance to following Jesus your resistance to going from going from the comfortable place to the uncomfortable place you see the role that they've been given is to help you to persevere in the hard place so let's not make their lives unnecessarily difficult the writer says that would not be to our advantage i'm reminded here of um, part of School children I used to see being taken on the London Underground. It did, it did seem to me at the time, the most stressful job in the world. I wonder if you can imagine a more stressful job than this. taking a class of disobedient schoolchildren across London on the tube. Extraordinary thing. And you can imagine as one of the one of the children in that group, you'd never have a better opportunity to bring your teacher to the point of nervous breakdown. You know, you'd never get a better chance than being on that trip. But nonetheless, also on that trip, that would be quite a dangerous thing to do, wouldn't it? Not to their advantage in the end. You know, not unless they wanted to find themselves stuck on the circle line for all eternity. Likewise for us, if we make our leaders work a burden rather than a joy, then we're told quite plainly here, that would be of no advantage to you. So this is where the the book of Hebrews has led us. It's uh, led us away from the place which is comfortable and familiar, but profoundly unsafe, to another place to the place that's described here as outside the camp. This other place doesn't look safe. It is, after all, a place of suffering and death. And yet, it is here alone, here alone, that we can find holiness. It is here alone that we will find life. It is here alone that we will be able to worship God appropriately and it's here alone that we will find the city that endures forever we are not there at the moment the writer reminds us but we will find it we will find it if we persevere so imagine yourself outside that hotel or youth hostel having responded to the alarm you've gone from the the comfortable place to the uncomfortable place but now that you're, you know, you're pleased that you're there because the building really is on fire. Or perhaps you're outside that condemned apartment block in Mexico City. You're cold, you're homeless and you're hungry. But you don't go back in because you can see the cracks in the structure getting wider and ri- wider right before your eyes. Spiritually speaking here tonight, if we're followers of Jesus, we are outside the camp. We are being led outside the camp. We've been led here by Jesus and by those who have spoken to us about Jesus. But, but we're happy to be here. We're happy to worship here, to love and serve here, because God has said Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And each one of us in this place can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can man do to me? And because of that, we can finish by praying for help like this. verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip us with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.